Well, hi, everybody. It's so good to see everyone here. And I know that you have been going through a whole semester of teaching on a variety of subjects, both skills and ways to deal with the enemy. And you've heard from a lot of different teachers, and I know it's been great. Um, but what we're talking about here at the end of the semester is walking out. And walking out is really a kind of a huge deal to understand because uh, I don't want any of us to be fooled into thinking that because we've had some exposure to one subject, suddenly we're done with that subject. Oh, I think I understand what fear is and how it's worked in my past. I guess I'm done with fear. Um, I don't think that's how it works. That's not how it's worked with me. And we, we have access to, you know, gobs and gobs of people for whom God is continuing the work of purifying us and growing us up, etc. So you've got some notes in front of you. And I'm just going to walk through some of these notes. And uh, you, can, you can help me through them if you will. One is I just want to set up our expectations. As we've said before, salvation is a process. Salvation is a process. Um, we, we made reference to this passage uh, in our orientation, but Exodus 23 is God talking to his people about taking over the land of Canaan. And he says there, you're not going to run everybody out in one year. Actually, I think he says, I won't be removing everybody in one year. He says, slowly you will take more and more ground because you don't know how to manage this land. He said, if I were to remove all of the enemies from all of your ground at once, it would be overrun with wild animals because you wouldn't know how to, you wouldn't know how to handle it. So he says, I'm going to train you, and little by little, you're going to take more and more ground. Okay? John 16, verse 7, says this. This is Jesus talking. He says, I will send the Spirit to you, and when he comes... He will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now, anybody, bear. More than you can now bear. So the implication there is that God has things to say to you right now. He has, th he has judgments that he'd love to make to you, but you cannot presently bear them. You just can't handle it. So if he wanted to say to you, I, I want you to move to Zimbabwe, you go, wah, I can't, you know, I just can't handle it. What would happen to my life? Okay, that's not typically the way God does things. He might say to you, um, I want to start speaking to you about having found identity in your career. I have found identity in my career. Well, I want you to Start pushing that to one side and start finding your identity in what I say about you, okay? And then he might take a process where he says to you, I want to explain to you my heart for people around the world who don't know me. That might be three years. And maybe you go on a mission trip or two, and at the end of all of this time, ten years down the line, he says, what do you say we go to Zimbabwe? Great, but he can't say he cannot deal that with us in total abject truth at the front. I wish he could. I wish it could be that quick. But he says, the Holy Spirit has things to say to you, but you can't bear them right now. So I just want you to understand that the Lord deals with each of us patiently. He's not in any rush. He knows just how much we can take, and he deals with us that way. He's always stretching us, but not beyond what we can bear. 
1 Corinthians says, we will not be tempted beyond what we can bear. He knows just how to get you from point A to point B. We'll end of this passage. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. So uh, where is God going to stop at revelation with you? All truth. So I want us all to have the expectation that until I am experiencing Romans 8, 28, and I am conformed into the image of Jesus, he's not done with me. He's still revealing his truth to me. He's still pronouncing, if we can go back to John 16 here, he's still pronouncing his judgments over my life. He's still convicting me with regards to sin and righteousness. We want to hear both of these things from him, all three of these things, sin, righteousness, and his judgments. We want those things. And he's not done because it's a process. So I want you to believe that God is working out his plan in you. He, I think it's Philippians that says he is the author and the finisher of our faith. And I want each one of you to understand your maturity and figuring out a strategy by which you mature is not your problem. You don't have to figure out how you're going to make that happen. All you have to do is submit to what he says. And if he says, it's time for you to start slowing down on the road. Simply go, okay, I'll do that. If he says, it's, it's time for you to start laying hands on somebody and praying for somebody to be delivered of self-pity. Okay, I'll do that. Whatever he says to you, do it. And you'll look backwards and go, wow, what, what a straight line he led me on. He knew exactly how to mature me in, what, in, in just the right way. I don't want anybody to feel pressure that we have to be there already. And I want you to hear, if you think you are, I want you to hear from me, you're not. You're not. There's not a diploma at the end of this class. You are hereby a mature believer. Go tell everybody what you think about everything. No. That's not what's happening. We're simply growing deeper and deeper into what he wants to do with us. And, and uh, for me, this, this content that we've been focusing on, it, it, for me, it's been a revelation of that he actually wants to deliver me from some of the stuff that's hounded me in the past, that's come down my generational lines, the stuff that's never been cut off before, my belief systems that I never even knew. I, I believed them. They were just coming to me naturally, he, that he's dealing with that stuff. So, if God is working his salvation and perfection and maturity out in you, if he's doing that on his time frame, and all you need to do is cooperate with his lead, um, you may ask me, if I were to not see you again for a couple of years, you might come back to me and say, how exactly can I cooperate with what God's doing as he unravels this thing in me of all these strongholds? Because... As you've walked through, let's take fear, for example. Um, you learn about fear, and there's sort of three things in your life where you realize, well, there's been some fear there, and I kind of work through those. And so you can kind of tend to think, well, I think I'm done with fear. That's great. And then you realize 10 years from now, wow, there was a deep underlying fear that I've never dealt with that I never knew was there. And actually, if you hadn't dealt with the first three and with the rejection that he wanted you to deal with and then with the occult stuff on the side, you'd have never found out this deeper thing of fear that's going on. I want you to have that sort of expectation and I want you to have patience 
about the fact that he, will, he does that. He will do that. My wife and I just went, we've been teaching this stuff at least eight years now, and we just went um, to learn, we went to a deliverance ministry to learn and be ministered to last month, and these people recognized and discerned and prayed for my wife regarding some fear, and that's never been a, an issue that we've ever really dealt with. I think it's been an issue in her life, but man, we started talking about it, and boy, oh boy, there was a, there was a whole bunch of stuff there. And, and I'm not surprised or offended by that, nor do I think, well, haven't I graduated to the point where God doesn't deal with strongholds in my house anymore? No. I expect that he's going to continue this progressive revelation, this ongoing speaking to us to conform us into the image of his son. Are you guys on board with me so far with this? Okay. Then I'll shut up about it. Okay. So how can we cooperate with him moving forward from here? Okay, I'm just going to give you a little six points, real simple. The first thing that I, I want to encourage all of you to do um, is to acknowledge that there is an attack going on when there is one happening. Acknowledge it. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, Don't let Satan outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. I want you to, I hope that you've become a little more savvy to what his schemes look like in your life. And I hope that you're um, simple-minded enough and humble enough to just kind of wave your hand when you go, whoa, there's something going on here. It's not just a random problem in my life. I don't think there's been sin in my life exactly. I think I might be under attack right now. I think, I think the enemies, I think I got spiritual stuff happening around me. And so we would encourage you, I think you've got a blank here. Admit the problem uh, Oh, sorry, that, that first blank is we are not unaware of his schemes. We'd encourage you to not over-spiritualize your life um, in saying everything's a demon and I have to keep repenting to fix my life. Um, not everything's a demon. There's problems that happen in life. Has anybody sort of been in and out of that ditch already this semester where you started thinking everything is a spiritual attack and... My car radio seems broken. I think there's a demon of bra- broken radios in my car. Actually, I think that's happened to me before. But I, I, I give that just as, as an example that we, we um, I laid hands on my computer one time. I was overseas. And it came back to life. Um, I don't know what was going on there. But God was good to me. But my point is... Um, um, I don't want us to be the, the people who over-spiritualize everything that happens. Every problem in your life, every problem at work, every disagreement that you have, anytime anybody tries to correct you, every time you get an insult, every flat tire, you just say, I just know the devil's trying to get me. Just the devil's trying to get me. I, 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 don't, I don't think so. Um, I, I think that there was something awful that happened in the garden when Adam and Eve, they ate that fruit, and everything went south on this planet. And we, we live on a planet that's hurting. It doesn't work the way that it's supposed to. There's a kingdom that's growing. One day Jesus will reign this planet, and it will all work the way that it does. But as long as trees fall dead in the forest and they rot, that's your signal that things aren't working the way that they're supposed to. And so things just happen in our lives that are just problems. 
and we have interpersonal conflict, and, you know, life is messy. So I just, I have to give this warning because we've seen this year over year, time after time, that the people who come through this class, hooray, we're very glad for us all to be aware of what the enemy does around us. And sometimes we, we, this gang right in here, we can turn into kind of little demon Nazis where not only do we think that there is a demon behind everything, but we're really good at pointing at everyone else and saying, you know what's going on right there for you? you got a little demon going on right there. That's not the best way to win friends. I'll just <laughs> tell you based on my experience, based on many stories, we have many people doing this with their newfound knowledge. I wouldn't encourage you to do that. You might have the most acute discernment of what's happening in any situation. Don't, don't go doing that. Don't go shooting a gun everywhere and telling everybody what their problem is. Uh, if you have discernment from God about some spiritual weirdness that's happening, you know what you can do? Intercede. You know what you can do? Love people. Love covers over a multitude of sins. You can just love people. Just be gracious. You don't have to tell people everything you know. Okay, you with me? I feel like maybe I'm spanking the wrong crowd here. Everybody's looking at me like, what? I didn't do anything. <laughs> I just, I'm just telling you that historically, this bunch, we all become a little bit more um, um, aware and exposed to spiritual realities, and then boy, oh boy, we just head out there, let me at them. And uh, I want us to be the people who are so mature and so kind and graceful that what people see in us is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That would be great. Okay, I kind of got ahead of myself there. Okay, don't over-spiritualize your lives. Okay, so I, I encourage you to be um, humble enough that you will admit, admit the problem to God and others. We've talked about this before. I'll just quote a couple of these verses and move on. Proverbs 28, 13 says, um, whoever confesses and renounces his sin will prosper, but whoever covers over sin will not succeed. So let's be people to do that. James 5, 16 says, confess to one another and lay hands and pray, on each other, pray for each other and you will be healed. 1 Peter 1.9 says, confess and you'll be forgiven. The second thing I want you to do after recognizing the attack is to take responsibility. Take responsibility. So if you fail, just repent. We all know how to repent. I hope you know Acts 3.19 that says that if you repent, times of refreshing will come. I hope that we are people who are zealous for repentance we know um, 2 Corinthians 7.10 says that um, repentance leads to salvation, no regrets. I hope we love repentance, and I hope that you'll keep that up. That's not something that you opt out of. Or I took the, I took the repentance class. I think I'm done repenting. No, you're not. So if you fail, just repent so that your sins will be wiped out. Times are refreshing. Um, accept the Lord's discipline. The Lord disciplines those he loves. That's Hebrews 12. If the Lord disciplines those he loves, let's be people of discipline. That, and I mean two things with that. One, that we'll let God discipline us. We'll let him shape us. We'll not be offended at him. We talked about that with regard to eternal judgment, right? 
right? Eternal judgment. I'm not going to be offended at the things God has to say to me. And I'm also going to be a person of discipline, meaning I will get my flesh, um, I, I will corral it by the Spirit into God's purposes. I, I, those things have to go hand in hand, by the way. I'm not here telling you, now go, everybody go act right, stop sinning. I'm saying the things that God walks us into, there has to be one, a receptive a reception of things in the Spirit, and two, what I was saying before, which is there has to be an act of obedience on our part where we go, you know what, i I, I got to deal with this area because God's putting his finger on it. Okay, well, it's not just all God that does something. I, I, have, to, I have to engage with him, which is why I'm saying take responsibility. Um, honestly, I think I, I see that getting into the water here with our community. I'm not talking about this room. I'm talking about this spiritual community here, uh, I'm seeing more and more a, a kind of sloughing off of spiritual responsibility for my actions and my attitudes on the devil some, or a demon out there somewhere. You know, um, I don't know. I just went out and got blasted last week, and I just think, boy, the devil is really after me. That's true, he is after you, and also, the, you know, the hand-to-mouth thing that you got going. You could work on that, too. That both of these things are true. And, I, and I'm not saying that somebody who deals with any sort of addiction doesn't need spiritual help. They do. I'm saying let's own the other thing, too, which is I'm taking responsibility for my part of the deal. Uh, does that make sense? I, I want to do both of those things. So I want to say that. Take responsibility <clears throat> receive, we've, we've said this, receive the Lord's judgments over you. He's not done with his judgments. Not done. But let's receive them. And let's have, again, I know we t- just talked about this with eternal judgment. Let's have David's attitude, that Psalm 139 attitude. Come on, Lord, search me. You just tell me whatever it is that you think. And I just told the group this, this last week, it's, it's always a Good reminder. Anytime you think you're stale in your faith, you kind of go like, I feel like I'm kind of going through the motions. I don't think anything's really happening between me and God. Just pray Psalm 139 to God. Just say to him, judge me, God. If you see any offensive way in me, say it to me right now and I'll repent of it. Just come on. Well, let me tell you something. That'll turn the crank of getting you awake spiritually. Because repentance leads to Salvation. Great. I'm going to get more of him. If you'll just open yourself, search me, oh God. Search my heart. See if there's anything in me. And just start, start moving. Okay, take responsibilities, number two. Number three, if you fail, when you fail, repent. Um, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather, this is Ephesians 5.11, but rather expose them. Expose them. That is to say, when God is dealing with you, that we need a community around us. I don't know if you, I don't know if this is the first group of people you've ever had in your life where you could kind of tell some of these ugly secrets to. I know that for some of us it is. I would just encourage you to be encouraging and looking for and developing a group of people around you your whole life so that you have three, four, or five tight people all the time that you're totally open with, you totally trust. There is a giving and receiving thing happening with you, with them. 
And you can tell them. You can tell them when you fail. You can confess anything to them. Um, You know, I just got some buddies. I just go back to that story where we all feel like with certain sins or thought patterns, we feel silly confessing them. You know, it just feels stupid to say, I, you know, I looked in the mirror this morning and I started thinking about my high school girlfriend and how she'd be disappointed at what I look like now. Oh, brother, what are you? you are so stupid. You know, if you told that to anybody just on the street, they go, God, you're so stupid. But my friends who love me and know my heart, I could share something like that with them. They go, man, that's tough. Do you think there's an identity thing going on there? They wouldn't laugh at me. They'd take it very seriously, engage with me. Like, what, what, what do you think God's doing there that that was brought to your mind? You know, what do you think there's something you need to confess? And let's pray together and, you know, engage like that. So... Man, bring, bring stuff out in the open. Do this for the rest of your life. I'm talking to you guys as if I'll never see you again and have no access to you for the rest of your life. These are sort of the marching orders from here on out. I didn't say this at the top. I should have. We know this, that what this little process that you went through here of a semester and I learned a little X, Y, Z, fill out my worksheet and go to a little group like that. You just scratch the surface of all of these issues. And the hard work of walking this stuff out is starts is going to start now. And I don't know I don't know what God's plan will be for you. I don't know what order He's going to do any of this stuff in. I don't know what's going to be the major thing in your life for the next year. But I can just tell you that if you'll just keep these things in place, it doesn't matter what it is that He works out in you. You're going to be in good shape if you're in a place where you're accepting his judgments. You've got a little team around you that you confess whatever to. You take responsibility for your own participation. You also recognize, hey, the enemy's out to get me. He's never going to stop being out to get me. And, you know, just working through these things, you're going to be in good shape. So that's that's why we do this whole working out thing. Okay. Do not quit, Joshua 6. Um, Do not quit. That Joshua 6 is a story of Jericho. And God told his people to walk around the walls of Jericho once a day for six days and on the seventh day to walk around for seven times. Um, and at the, at the end of that time, I always think about the, the 12th time they're walking around the city. And it's a week of walking around the city. And what are they thinking? I don't think this works. I'm not sure what's happening here. What, what, we, what was supposed to happen? I don't know what's supposed to happen. And they kept going, and all it took was a shout to the Lord, and blammo, and everything fell. Um, I have a, a man I really respect named Charles Karen as a minister, and he describes the battering ram of God And he says, you know, the way battering rams work is the first time a battering ram blasts into a wall, you see no change at all. But something, there's been a molecular change that's happened the first time that battering ram smashes into that wall. And the 10th time, and the 50th time. And you might not see anything going on, but there is a molecular change that happened there. And eventually... What wins out is persistence. 
And God has a battering ram that he wants to use in every one of our lives. And man, I got to tell you, you know, if, if you got some sin area that you just can't get past and you think, I'm just so trapped here, I cannot help but be bitter towards my mother. I just can't do it. But you just make a decision, I'm going to bless that woman and I'm going to pronounce forgiveness over her every time she comes to mind, every time I speak to her. I'm not listening to the thoughts that say, this isn't working, nothing's happening, there's been no change in you. No, no. If there's a war of attrition with the enemy, we're going to win this war because we're not going to quit. I just believe, I've just seen it too many times that suddenly we just have breakthrough. Suddenly it all happens. I keep hearing these stories of, oh, I'm not going to get this stat wrong. If somebody knows it correctly, correct, tell me so. Um, but Heidi Baker, she, something like she reports that it was her 9,000th person that she prayed for before they were healed um, of blindness. Now, the way that she does ministry, her and her team in Mozambique, they go, to, they go to new villages where they know that Christ is not known. They gather up the whole village and they say, do you have any blind people here? And they'll say, yeah, we do. Bring him here. And then they'll say to everyone, now everyone listen to me. We're about to go minister to this person in the name of Jesus. And when this person is healed of blindness, you'll know that, there's, that we're talking about the true God. And then they take that person away. And while they're ministering to that person in a hut somewhere, somebody proclaims the story, the whole story of, of God. Then they come back and say, well, here's the blind person, and he sees. Anybody want to receive this God? And they go, he's the God who heals. And routinely, the whole, the whole village comes to faith. Now, that sounds like a great way to do business. But anyone, anybody want to sign up for 9,000 people to pray for before the first one gets healed? I'm telling you that these days, they, when they see a blind person, they think we got them. They just think we're going to, we know we know this person is going to be healed because they just see it all the time now. But who among us is persistent enough that we're going to keep going until we get breakthrough? I feel that frustration about praying for people to be healed all the time. I was just asking one of my mentor friends about it, like, what, is there a secret sauce? Tell me what it is. And he's like, you keep going. You're going to see, you're going to see it. I know you're going to see it. All right, all right. Don't give up. Don't give up. And I want to say that to all of you. Do not quit with whatever it is that God's got his finger on in you. All of God's promises, no matter how many he's made, they're all yes in Christ. I think that's 2 Corinthians 1. All of God's promises, no matter how many he's made, they are all yes in Messiah. Okay, I want you to know that. Don't, don't quit. Humble yourself. We already went over there. Now, number four, remove it. <clears throat> remove it. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Whatever's going on in your world that, pre that creates um, a scenario for your stronghold to exist, I just encourage you to, to destroy it. So, I, you know, I just can't go to this one bar without getting drunk. I'm just going to keep just praying that God will go into that bar with me every Thursday night at 9 o'clock and I will just not get drunk in there. 
If that was my guy, I would say, you know what, I, I, I can help you solve this problem. And it's not praying that God will go in the bar with you. It would be staying away from the bar. And let me just encourage all of you with, to throw aside the weight that easily entangles us. Let that be part of the conversation that you have with God. What are the places that I'm going to that I feel continually trapped, I, I feel regularly defeated in, and then just cut them off. Let's be, let's be um, ruthless enough that you say, I just can't watch TV without getting so fleshy or loving violence or whatever. Destroy your television. <laughs> Is that too crazy to consider? No, it's not. What does it profit a man who gains a fortune and loses his own soul? What, what do you give for your own soul? What would you give for your freedom? Your television... Destroy it. Boy, you know, there's just so much porn on my cable provider. It's just, whew, it's really hard. It's not that hard. It's not that complex. Get cable out of your house. Have you ever considered what, getting internet out of your house? What? Come back again? Whoa, I'm not going to get internet out of my house. What? what? Yes, you are. We're going to throw aside everything that entangles us. So I encourage you to do that, to remove whatever it is. It might be a relationship. I just, I'm just, you guys might have already learned all this stuff, you know, in this semester. But I just know that when God starts pulling the thread of your fear, for instance, suddenly, oh, shoot, now I'm changing my career, and now I'm changing my car, and now I have to move to another city. Because that's what he does, you know. I, I don't know what the, I don't know where it ends up, but we're going to have an attitude that just says, well, I'm just all in. And I'm going to be all who you made me to be. I don't care what the end looks like. I just want to look like Jesus. You with me on that? Yes. Okay. So remove it, whatever it is. Um, I, you could have filled this blanket on yourself. Cast the enemy out. Your flesh and the devil and the world are to be monitored by God's spirit. Great little quote here from Sam Solon, I believe. It is, <clears throat> it is pointless to constantly discipline the flesh, yet allow the demons to remain. And it's also useless to cast out the demons, but allow the flesh to reopen the doors to them again. That's why we have to do both things. We have to see that there's a spiritual reality and also go, well, I've got some culpability here too. What is, what's the thing? Um, at this training that we went to last month, we learned that um, the, the uh, word for repentance, metanoia, means a turning over your mind, to change your mind and actually change the way that you think about things. So good, it's good for us to repent of self-pity, good. Also, let's start taking our thoughts captive and saying, I got to stop thinking those things. So exactly what you're describing back there, when somebody complains about the laundry, what we're supposed to do is when that thought comes, you, you're, you're meaningless. We throw an emergency brake on. Er, hold on a second. Grab it. This is what it means to take every thought captive. Take it captive. Lord, what do you say about this thought? I just had the thought come through my mind that says that you're worthless. What do you say about it? Well, he would probably say something like, are you worthless? No. What do I say? You say, I'm worth your son. What have you been doing? 
I've been acting like my worth is based on how much laundry there is to be done or what people say about the laundry. Okay, stop that. Can you replace that with the truth? Okay. The truth is it doesn't matter what I do. I don't have any value given to me by what I do and that my value actually happens before behavior happens and my value will never be in question by what I do or how anybody responds to it. Great, go with that. So when we see meditate on the scriptures, meditate on God's truths, those are the kind of things we're to meditate on. I have thought many times in my life, I don't really believe in my believer. I don't really believe in my deep places, the things that I can read here in the scriptures and I know they're probably true. Well, I need to meditate on those things. I got to get this old stuff out. And that's part of that taking responsibility thing I'm describing. Number five, rejoice. I'm going to read 2 Chronicles 20 to you on rejoice. It says, Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping him. And some Levites of the Kohathites and Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning, and they went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe and remain steadfast to his prophets, and you will prosper. It's a great verse. When he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers to sing to the Lord and praise him in their holy priestly garments as they went out before the army, saying, I'll pause there before we get to what they said. Just set it up. These people are at war. Israel is at war. Jehoshaphat the king said, I want everybody to worship. And they did worship. And then he set singers out in front of the army. Bad war strategy. Singers in front of the army. And they said, give thanks to the Lord for his mercy and loving kindness endure forever. What does that even have to do with war? They weren't even singing, oh God, kill these guys. Make sure they will die. They were not singing that. They were singing, give thanks to the Lord. His loving kindness endures forever. And they were raising up the fame and the name of the Lord. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah. The Lord set ambushes. I don't know what that looks like. The closest thing I can think of in my old brain is, is um, Indiana Jones. Them opening up that ark and God's spirit just going bananas on everybody and killing everybody. It says, the Lord set ambushes against these men and they were self-slaughtered. They either killed each other or they killed themselves or something. I don't think the men of Amnon are against you. But how would you feel if the Lord set ambushes against your enemies and all the enemies in your life self-slaughtered? Sound good? Well, according to the... Excuse me, does that sound good to you? Okay, well, according to this story, 
if we were to be bad theologians, we'd take one passage of Scripture and make our whole theology around it. This story would say what all you need to do is worship. And if you'll just worship, God will set ambushes in your life. Now, that's incredible to me. Rejoice. That's why I say rejoice. I'm going to keep reading this. They were self-slaughtered because they rose against one another and utterly destroyed them. And when they had made an end to the men of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. And I guess all of the guys who weren't the singers in the back were all with their swords. And do we, so do we not, we're not, okay, well, great job, guys. We really nailed them today. Hey, let's give those singers a promotion. Great job. I want you to understand that, that worship and rejoice is one of the most powerful spiritual strategies you could ever have access to that the Lord gives us, is just worshiping Him, bringing His presence into whatever situation you're in, bringing His presence into your car and into your cube and into your family life, just worshiping Him. His presence has a way of just sorting everything out. I, I'm telling you there will be more deliverance that happen in your life if you'll just worship him and bring his presence in than all of the go-away demon-y stuff that you could do. Just worship. So that's why I encourage you to rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Last one, um, restore. That is build up others. Galatians 6 says, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, and now I'm, this is your marching orders. If someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Be gracious to the people around you who are falling. Again, don't use your spiritual knowledge. Oh, I see what they're doing. That's bitterness. What you've got is unforgiveness against her. That's why you're being tormented. Because Matthew 18 says, when you have unforgiveness in your heart, you're tormented. That's what's happening with you. That's why you're so tormented. <laughs> oh, hooray. Oh, you've diagnosed them so well and you've made an enemy to the gospel. They don't have anything to do with you and your judgmentalism. You did not help them. Hooray, you correctly understood the situation. That's not loving. This says, if someone sins around you, you, you are spiritual, should restore them gently. Um, you should carry one another's burdens. I just want to encourage everybody in here, as we become more and more savvy, more and more discerning, more and more skilled to understand what the enemy does, and yes, to understand how the people around us have played into his hand. We all do. We all play into his hand. When you see it happening around you, oh, I beg you, I beg you to be gentle with the people around you, to be patient with them. God's been very patient and gentle with you, very gentle and patient with you. And I beg you to extend grace to the people around you. Be a minister of reconciliation to God because you've been reconciled. Jude 22. Anybody know that? Be merciful. Excellent. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. It's our pleasure to... Um, uh, lead a team 
of ministers at man camps. And we see every kind of guy. It's such a wonderful scenario um, at these man camps and see guys come in with all manner of brokenness, all manner of questions, all manner of pain and doubts and whatever. And it would be so easy and lazy to just simply point fingers at them when they come in. Oh, you doubt? Uh, Listen, this isn't a place for doubters. This is a place for believers. You can go wait in that line over there. Is there anybody that believes and wants prayer? Because we'll lay hands on the people. This says be merciful to those who doubt. So somebody looks you dead in the eye and goes, I really doubt any of this God stuff that you're talking about is true. Be merciful to that person. I hope our response to them is, man, I've been right where you are. I don't blame you at all for thinking that I'm nuts. Nothing that I believe can be seen with the human eye. It's all by faith. I'm, I'm, I know I'm putting my eggs in a, in a basket you can't see. And I, I have all sorts of grace for that. I hope that's us. I hope that's us, to be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire, save them. And I love this promise Proverbs eleven twenty five. He who refreshes others will, him, yes, himself be refreshed. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. That would be my second tip. If you feel dead and numb spiritually, one would be to ask the Lord to judge you. Two, just start serving people. And he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. It's right there in the Bible. I really desire that we would be a team. You know, I'm not telling you, again, I, I'm assuming that I'll never have contact with you again, that you're, you're going to flew the coop here and you're graduated and you're just going to be great. It might not happen this year because you'll be in an intense time of receiving when God's dealing with you. I don't know. But 10 years from now, I hope everybody in this room is an active minister every place in your entire life. You walk out there going, who wants some? I have the Holy Spirit with me. Who wants it? That is, if you feel like, man, I, I want to be somebody who can help other people. I want to myself be refreshed. Okay, I'm going to read this even though it's there and you could read it yourself. Finally, I do not want the study to have created a hyper-sin consciousness in you. That is the religious spirit. Be on your guard. Jesus told the Pharisees to clean the inside of the cup and not sweat the outside. I simply want you to know how the enemy works and how your decision to sin plays into his hands. I also want you to feel empowered to beat his ass. Oh, beep, whenever you get the chance. One of the beauties of the gospel is that, it is, is that our power is point oh 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 one percent of Satan's, and yet Jesus has handed him over to us. It's amazing and amazingly humiliating for the devil. Um... I want to share one more thing with you real quick because I don't know where you are spiritually speaking. I just want to share this framework that you may have seen before. Yeah, endure, don't quit. And that's this. This is a really simple way to um, illustrate anybody's spiritual growth. We go from being a seeker, somebody who's asking questions. The Bible said that none of us asks questions unless God is at work in us. It's actually God's grace that anybody is seeking for him because um, Psalm 14 says no one seeks God. And and Jesus said nobody comes to me unless the Spirit draws him. Then we become receivers. Somebody who simply has enough faith to say, God, would you heal me? Would you save me? Would you be willing to love somebody like me? And that's it. 
That's all we say. At some point in your spiritual growth, if God gets hold of you, I can guarantee there will come a point where you will say to him, um, I want to give you everything. I want to stop negotiating with you. I don't just want to receive from you. I want to walk with you, and I want you to have access to all of me. I believe you designed me for a purpose, and I don't, I don't think I can know it unless you're calling the shots. So you can be my master, and I'm going to follow you. And then lastly, what I've been describing is we become a producer, and that is someone who starts caring for other people. That doesn't mean that you stop seeking or you stop receiving or you, start, you stop following. It's just that you just develop this other muscle that we call producing. You can call it disciple making. You could call it being an evangelist. You could call it being a shepherd, all, all manner of things, just taking care of other people. And as this little chart illustrates, the, the, the step from becoming a seeker to receiver is dealing with the cross and just saying, Jesus, you're the Savior. I want you to save me. The step from being a follower to a producer is somebody lay hands on you and say, you're ready, go start ministering to somebody. And we put that little cloud in the top to simply say, somewhere along here you need to receive the Holy Spirit and deal with him. That's not, that can happen really any step along the, along the way. What I want to point out here, and we've talked about this with baptisms, is water baptism, which is the step from be, being a receiver to somebody that says, I want you to deal with my whole past. I want to be cut off from my whole past, my old identity, my old way of life, and I want you to be the number one ruler, Lord of everything in my life. No more arguments, no more negotiation, no more questions. You're the boss and you can have my whole life. It's a heavy, heavy decision that somebody makes, but I recognize there could be people here um, you're hearing this, you're seeing this, and you think, man, I think I'm, I'm more and more at that place because I'm, I'm receiving his healing in more and more areas of my life, and I'm experiencing his goodness. And I go, he's so good. How could I be any more intimate with him? How could I know him more? And, and the Bible would say, well, that would be walking into water baptism with him and saying, I die to my old way of life, and I want to live again in you. In 1 Peter 3, there's a picture of water baptism, um, and it's Noah's Ark. And 1 Peter says that Noah, having shut up his family into that ark, they were really shutting themselves up into a total faith and reliance on God. And they went through water, and that water separated them from their old life and their old world. And it took them to a new destiny that they had no idea what it was, but it was going to be God alone for them. And walking into water baptism is exactly that way. It says, I'm going through water into a new destiny. I don't know what it is, but I belong solely to God, and I put my life in his hands. If that's you, um, we simply want to say, man, this would be a perfect time to raise your hand to somebody, whether it's your drill group leader or send us an email or something, and let's get you water baptized to walk through this really important step. Okay? That's it for walking out. Boy, I hope the next 80 years are really good for you. And um, I just want to pray for you, and then we'll close. God, thank you so much for everybody here, everybody who's um, just walked through this stuff in faith. I know that this material is not perfect. I know that none of our teachers have been perfect. Um, I know that we, it's like we throw out about 80 concepts, and they're all 
banging around in our heads and our hearts, and you, you're the one that has to sort it all out. I don't pretend any of this is perfect. Um, what I know is that you are in the process of saving me to the uttermost. You came that we would have life and have it to the uttermost. So, Lord, all I know to do is to entrust these people into your hands. And, God, you have been so faithful to bring us to where we are right now. You didn't leave me for dead when you should have. You brought me to this place. I'm so grateful, God. And I also want to entrust them to you, Lord, knowing you won't leave them where they are now. You have good plans for these people. You're bringing them into a good land that is flowing with milk and honey. And you are driving out their enemies in front of their eyes. You are not only saving them, but you're turning them into the kind of people who can actually be agents of saving others around them. I bless you for that, Lord. Thank you for these precious people. Thank you that you're so gentle with them. You know just what you're doing. You know the timeline that you've got us on. I just want to hold your hand. I just want to hold your hand through this process. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for being in the process of saving me. Thank you for this time we've had together, God. May it be a blessing to everyone who hears it. Amen. Thank you.